Hello, uh, welcome to episode 10 of Sparks of Madness. This is your host, Graham Rayner, again. Um, not quite sure, I thought we'd even get to 10 episodes, so thank you to everyone who's been listening every week, and thanks to all the lovely comments we've had from people, um, especially those uh, from people with uh, you know, feedback on how it's helped them. That's a useful thing to hear, and it's really nice to hear, so thanks very much. This week's episode is um, a good friend of mine, Sam Cook. Uh, stage name is SJ Cook. Um, he's another one from uh, the early days of my comedy career, started out together back in November 18. Um, he's very young, by m- uh, my standards at least. He's in his 20s. Um, and when I spoke to Sam, which was some weeks ago, he was just going through the early stages of having just sought some help for his issues. Um, so it's quite a fresh episode, this one, um, in that sense. Um, his his mental health journey was quite a new one, but I thought that was an interesting perspective. So do have a listen, let us know what you think, and enjoy episode 10 of Sparks of Madness. Thank you. Okay, um, I'm delighted to welcome to this latest episode of Sparks of Madness um, my very good friend, uh, young SJ Cook. And I have to say young SJ Cook because one of the things that gives me the most delight in comedy is constantly reminding me just how fucking young he is. Um, for a 12-year-old, you're doing really well in comedy, mate. How's it going? <laughs> yeah, no, not bad at all, thank you. Um, had a slight break towards the end of last year uh, when I went travelling um, to Southeast Asia. I thought this year would be the year I made to come back in comedy, but uh, for obvious reasons, <laughs> that might not be happening for a while. Yeah, gotcha. So, you're not actually 12, though. How old are you, Sam? Uh, 20, 21. Uh, I, I do look 12, so I'll let you off for that one, but 21 this year. <laughs> so I'm a big boy now. You're a big boy now. Um, and we started out on comedy together, um, didn't we? So, I've previously um, had as a guest on here... Um, Jim, our mentor, if you like, from the comedy course that we did together in November 2018. Um, so that was when we started. Tell us about your life in comedy since that course then. Yeah, so since then, I'd, I'd probably say that 2018 might be the best year of my life so far um, because Ultra Comedy was fantastic. Obviously, I met you, which was you know one of the highlights of my life. Um, it is for everybody, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Start, starting a comedy journey, and then from there, um, I was hitting it really, really hard. Um, towards the start and midway through 2019, I was trying to gig consistently um, any week I could, four or five times a week if I could. If there was a spot available within a two-hour radius where I lived, I was sure to be on it, um, so I was hitting it really hard. Um, then, obviously, when I went travelling, I calmed down a bit. But, yeah, it's gone well. Uh, I've not hit any gongs or anything like that yet, so I'm looking to get a couple of them under my belt when lockdown and corona lifts. But, yeah, that's where I'm at at the moment. Got you. Um, and you actually um, were running your own night in Keithley as well, weren't you? Yeah, uh, the, exchange. the exchange. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. That, that was meant. Which is a lovely little room. Yeah, it, it's a really. How did nice you find night. that venue? That sounds. I mean, it sounds like a great venue. Um, it, it was actually yourself. Uh, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I just want to big myself up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, give yourself the credibility. Yeah, so I think it was yourself and Jem. Were you at a poetry night? Was it? Yeah, so Jem, who's a future guest on this podcast, um, had a, a charity event which had some some poetry and some live music, and I was uh, I was watching it and uh, and I was sat in the room thinking this is a really sweet little room, um, and I spoke to the guy that was running the bar on the day. I think he's one of the managers or assistant managers, and just said, "Do you ever have 
live events that aren't musical. Like, would you ever have a live comedy night? And he says, yeah. And then I thought, I don't fancy traipsing over to Keithley regularly. Um, so um, I, uh, I just I knew you were in the area, so I thought I'd, uh, I'd whack you on to that. It's quite a weird little network because um, my first guest on this was Keith Wilde, who I first met at another one of your gigs in Keithley. So it's, it's funny how comedy has that sort of little web of, of uh, connections with people. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it seems like every man and his dog's doing comedy, but at the same time, it's such a small circle because it feels like you know all of them. So, mm, mm. And uh, one of the things that has become apparent from speaking to people on this um, is the importance of a support network. And you're one of um, five in our little kind of um, secretive Facebook Messenger chats that we regularly have. Um, and uh, I know I've found them really helpful. Have you found them helpful, particularly during lockdown? Yeah, definitely. Um, we, we tend to have a video call sort of every other night. Uh, I know you join them when you can, but yeah, it's been ridiculously helpful. Also gives me some sort of connection to comedy still, uh, even though we can't kick. Mm. Uh, you know, it's nice to be reminded that you guys are still there and we're all in the same boat. Yeah. Um, and it's, like I say, I think it's that thing of um, camaraderie, common experiences and stuff like that but in that group all five of us have had some sort of mental health concerns at some point and yours are pretty um current aren't they you're, you're going through stuff at, at the moment um tell us about that yeah so my sort of mental health has been I suppose like a lot of people uh, a rocky road um it was towards the start of 2018 when I met you it wasn't great uh, going into ultra comedy, meet, meeting you guys, uh, doing comedy, gave me a little bit of a release, uh, gave me a bit of a purpose. So it sort of got better then. Um, towards 2019, the end of 2019, um, it was just a barrage of stuff. Um, obviously going travelling, the stress of that just started hitting home. Um, my nan had passed away. Um, I was going through quite a strange relationship at that point. And it just felt like everything was going wrong. Um, Obviously, I went travelling, came back, and I don't know, I, I just don't feel like I've been the, the same since. I feel like I've kind of lost a large part of myself at the end of last year, and I've just been trying to find that and get it back. Um, B, obviously, yeah. came back from travelling, uh, got a job listing estate agents, um, left there just due to pretty much workplace bullying. Uh, that was horrendous. So it, it just feels like every time I take one step up, you know, it's been stepped back down. And then with lockdown and everything happening, you know, there's no release there. There's been no way of kind of letting that go. Mm. So uh, that's that's something that's, um, in, I think, quite common is is that um, it's not necessarily, for a lot of people, there's, you know, you, you look at people and, and, and you hear people saying, why has that person got reasons to be depressed or whatever? Because sometimes some people it's just that chemical imbalance in the brain and depression hits and there's not necessarily outside stimulus that's kicking it in. But with you, you've had a kind of a, over a period of sort of six, nine months, you've had a sequence of, of events and instances of things that have just added more, more of a burden on your shoulders, more weight on your shoulders and nothing to, to take that burden away at the moment. So how, how have you been coping with that? Because that sounds really like, you know, a lot to deal with, particularly for a young man. Um, yeah, dealing with that, I, I think as we touched on earlier, our, our group really helps talking to you guys on an evening. Uh, it is one great release. Uh, just knowing that you guys have been through very similar things as well is quite helpful. Uh, when, when you're talking to someone uh, like yourself who, who's been through a very similar thing, 
it doesn't feel like you're burdening them or that, you know, mm. I feel like if I try to explain to some people how my mind thought sometimes, if they've never been in that situation, it might freak them out and scare them a bit. Um, I, yeah. I, obviously, um, I did message a group. I contacted the doctors on Monday and got some, um, I did get some medication for it. I've been taking that now, but I'm still, I, I don't really know what to think on that front, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, my experience of... Is it antidepressants that you've been prescribed then? Yeah, several. Yeah, right, okay. Um, so my experience of that is that they can take quite a while to get into your system until you notice a sort of a consistent improvement. I think that the guidance is that it can be up to sort of six weeks or so. But I know that when I... And I think I said this to you privately today as well. When I first took that step of seeking help and knowing that there was help coming I felt instantly better for a short time so I felt a little bit of a boost not a massive boost I wasn't like cock a hoop running around you know screaming for the rooftops but I felt that the if you could sort of if you looked at it as a I don't know uh, you're on the you've got your first foot on the ladder of climbing out of that hole a bit um, and I think that, that my experience was the danger of that is then to get impatient to keep climbing. Um, but I, I do think it's it's tricky because what the, what those pills are trying to do is, is rebalance the chemicals in your in your noggin in your brain, and, and it takes time for that sort of shit to take effect. So there is no quick fix, unfortunately. But you you know, congratulations and well done on taking that first step because it's it, I I know I I mean I was ten years older than you when I had my issues. Um, and it was a massive step just having that conversation. And I was lucky enough that there wasn't other shit going on like lockdown. So I could go and sit in a room with the doctor and I had my wife sat by my side. So to have to go through that process, presumably you did all this over the phone, did you? Were you sort of triaged over the phone? Yeah, yeah, it was just over the phone. Um, it was only really the people in our group, uh, like yourself, that I'd spoken to about it. So it was just on the phone when I rang them. Mm. So, I mean, that that to me sounds like it would probably be harder for you to have that conversation because how easy would it be just to put down the phone and not bother ringing back or whatever? And, and you know, I think it's really to your credit you've done that. So, you know, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass, mate. Well done. Um have you spoken to your family or anything at all about the situation? Um, no, I've not spoken to them. Um, both my parents, uh, my mum and my stepdad, I'm aware that they have been on antidepressants in the past. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe there would be understanding, but I just don't want it to be like that my brave little soldier thing. Uh, you know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. It's me, me and my family. Uh, and I suppose maybe this is the cause of some of my issues. We've never been quite open and talkative or helped one another. We kind of just deal with things alone. And I'm fully aware that that's not healthy, but I just, I wouldn't even know where to engage in the start of that conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and you're far from unique in that, mate. I think that's the, that's the thing you can be reassured by is, you know, I know from definitely from my experience with my family, um, certainly on my side of my family rather than my wife's family, it's not mental health has never been a discussion that I've ever had with any of my family, I don't think. Um, and, and there's been lots of issues in our past that will definitely impact on everyone's mental health. Um, but we don't talk about it and we never really have. Um, and, and actually when I was going through my issues and they were aware of it, there wasn't an awful lot of 
checking in. We live quite a long way apart, so my family are down in, in the southeast in Essex and, and that area, and I'm up in Yorkshire. But there wasn't a lot of just checking in to see how you're doing, baby brother, or anything anything like that, really. It was just kind of an assumption that I was getting on all right. My wife's family are completely different creatures, though. They're much more open about issues like that, much more prepared to talk about issues like that. Um, and I think that was helpful, but I think you're doing the right thing. Take what take help wherever you can get it. And even if it's, it's just us, us guys, you know, having a quite often inappropriately laddish chats about stuff and, you know, joking about how the pills are going to affect how your dick works and stuff like that. It's still a release and it's still a support network. And like you say, you know, we've all been there in some way, shape or form ourselves. So I think that's really positive. So in terms of how the, the, the depression that you've had at the moment was um, sort of impacting your, your behavior or your life what what was that like and what's that been like for you so so it's been quite a lot of struggle um i've i've always felt something was wrong from a really young age uh, the way that i uh, well the best way of describing it is it's like being on the outside looking in it's like you're mm-hmm. around people but you're not really there um, like being in a glass box almost so there's quite a lot of loneliness um that comes with it i think a lot of it is understanding why I feel the way I feel um I, I went to counseling last year and that was really really helpful um having someone to talk to and then also understand myself and my feelings and coping mechanisms and um, putting them in place mm. was really helpful I, again with the lockdown and stuff I think the most difficult thing is I can't really just put, pick myself up and go do one of my hobbies or go see one of my friends or get myself out there a bit you're kind of limited to walking the same path you've been walking every day, maybe in a different direction if mm. you want to spruce it up, you know? <laughs> yeah, and the be- because the best thing at the moment during the COVID-19 lockdown for your physical health is isolation, but the worst thing at the moment for your mental health is isolation. So it's a real catch-22 situation, I guess. Um, and and I get that. I really get that. And I think, you know, I, I remember speaking to you the other day saying, you know, go for a run or something, and it's like what was your hobby that your physical exercise outlet it was something else wasn't it uh it um, was climbing uh ultimate. climbing yeah and you can't go climbing at the moment because where are you going to go um so yeah it's, it's tricky as that and obviously when it comes to comedy um there's a regular kind of outlet there isn't there that has been taken away because especially if you were gigging up and you were just getting getting to the stage where you were starting back after a period of traveling to, to get out and gig again um what do you think that comedy, or how do you think that comedy would help you now if you were able to get out and, and hit the stage and do 10 minutes of jokes? Um, you, you know what, I think the biggest thing is probably when, when you're doing comedy, you're only really focused on your set and the night. and The adrenaline, the buzz that you get after that, it just fills you with a level of confidence. Uh, maybe not if you have like a, an awful gig like we've all had, but when you have that good gig and maybe your friends are on like you or Keith Wilde or someone like that, you know, you can have a really nice night um, speaking to people in the audience and just to travel there and back, you know, it, it can just be quite relaxing. Mm. Mm. So what's your plan then? Get, assuming that lockdown continues for a while longer and as we speak now, it's we've heard that the, the government are going to announce something on Sunday that might lead to some relaxing of of restrictions but i don't think it's going to be a switch everything back on again announcement yeah um assuming we've got maybe until the end of june or something of the current situation without much changing what's your plan to 
to get through to that period because that will be roughly when hopefully the the, the, the medical help, the medicine is going to kick in and give you the, the, the next sort of rung on the ladder, if you like. So what are you going to do in the meantime? What's your plan? So in the meantime, um, I think as we discussed on the chat, I've just opened up my own business uh, working in Keefley. Mm-hmm. I think that's helping. That's given me a purpose. It's given me something to work on. It's given me a reason to wake up in the morning, something to be excited about. Uh, so focusing on that. I think as well, it's just managing as best as you can, knowing when you're getting a bit stressed, maybe putting a good TV show on that you draw, you enjoy. Just trying to sail through as much as I can, really, until it's all over. Mm. Mm. It's tricky, isn't it? It's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough balance. Because um, you're locked down. You're not at home at home now, though. Are you staying with your grandma? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Just staying with my nan at the moment, keeping her company. Yeah. yeah, so you've got some company, but maybe not the sort of company that you would normally have and, and what have you. So what's your daily life like at the moment? Yeah, so it, it's a bit of an odd one. A typical day is obviously wake up. That's wake up if I've been sleeping because these pills have given me <laughs> chronic insomnia now. Um, mm. Sort of start work and I'll be right down on the task of what to do for the day. Do them and then if I finish them early, um, I might just go in the room for a bit, watch some TV, go for a walk, uh, go for a run sometimes. Just try and pass the time really as much as I can, read a book. Mm. There's only so much can do. It's, it's getting a bit like Groundhog Day really. There's only so many runs you can go for before I'll start to feel the same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I suppose that's positive because, you know, in there what you haven't got, which I know a lot of people have got, is you, you're not saying you're cracking up in a beer at 10 o'clock in the morning or or abusing any other substances <laughs> or whatever, which is really good. And I know you're a good, clean, wholesome boy, so that's fine. Um, so get into comedy then. Um, I, I don't think I knew really that you had issues before we started comedy. Um, obviously, I was aware of the current situation. So w- were they similar to the sort of problems you were having now that you had before? Yeah, yeah, um, definitely was. I, I think the, the biggest thing for me is the feeling of not being good enough that's always been kind of an underlying problem with everything and anything that I do Um, Mm -hmm. so in comedy it it definitely played a huge factor it's just this voice in your head constantly you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough Um, and it's constantly there I I know stuff from my childhood that's triggered that so I know why it's there Um, when I was starting comedy uh, it it was a big problem for me because Going on ultra comedy was something I really wanted to do, but that voice was still so persistent in the back of my head told me I wasn't good enough and I wasn't funny. Um, so, yeah, that, that's the kind of problems that have been there before. Sometimes it's been a lot more severe and it, it's put me in some pretty bad situations. Other times it can be less bad. It's just an irritant or annoying or a bit down. So, you know, it, it can fluctuate. Mm. I remember... Um... One of the first weeks at the ultra course where we had to get up with a mic in our hands, and um, you were you were shaking like a shitting dog. I could see how nervous you were. Um, but you know, obviously, people when they do performance stuff, they quite often might grow. But I think they, they, you were one of the people on the course. And for those people who don't know what I'm talking about, we did a comedy course for eight weeks where we didn't do it, didn't perform in front of the public. We rehearsed with a professional comedian. We did workshops and whatever. And there were, I think, by the end of the course, there were 15 of us doing the performance. And out of those 15, you know, you were definitely one of the, probably the two people I would say who were almost unrecognisable 
on the final night when we did our sort of debut performance compared to week one. Did you feel like, did you notice during that period, that process, that that your mental health improved or were you still sort of thinking, I'm not good enough, what the hell am I doing here? Or what was the thought process? Yeah, I, I think that that helped tremendous amounts because for every time there was that voice going, you're not good Every Thursday when I met you guys, jumped on the stage and did a new joke. It was like proving it wrong. Uh, so building up Torch Comedy was fantastic. It gave me something to focus on, something to do. Um, it, it just gave me a reason to keep going. And then Ultra Comedy, obviously it went really, really well. I was fast. It was amazing when my set went down well and one of the best nights of my life. And that kind of helped me overcome quite uh, quite heavily the, the issue in my head because I could just look at the evidence and go, I, I am good enough. Uh, I did it and I succeeded and I am good enough. So Ultra Comedy was fantastic for me. Mm. Well, that's really good to hear. Um, and um, I know if, if he listens to this, Jim will be probably smiling at that as well because I think um, it's, it's funny, isn't it, how you sort of look at different people in the, in those settings and, and certainly you were... You know, I think your nickname was because you, your your stage name initially was James Cook, and then obviously we realised there was another James Cook in comedy. So you were towards you were Baby James because you were, the, you know, by far the youngest person in the group, and we all kind of parented you in different ways or whatever. Um, and it's been really good to see that kind of uh, development, I suppose, and and to then have you running your own night and do, making a real success of that was was really positive. But with that comes a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. How how do you deal with that? With, with the stress of what, sorry, uh, running the night. Of organising your own night, running your own night. Because it's a, so there's there's two folds to it. If you're running your own night where you've got maybe eight acts booked to do 10 minutes each, you've got the logistical nightmare of arranging that in the first place. You've then got to try and work your ass off to make sure that people come and see it by promoting it and talking about it nonstop till people are sick of hearing about it. And then on the night, you've got to change your, your act. You're not just going on doing, hi, I'm... I'm uh, S.J. Cook from Keithley, and here's my material about me being the victim of, you know, Jimmy Savile wannabes because I look so young. <laughs> it's, it's like you've got a whole different process. You've actually got to to manage the the flow on the night, and the skill set's really different. And for someone of limited comedy experience, and someone who's really young, and also someone who's going through mental health issues, that to me sounds like it could be a recipe for disaster. Yet somehow you pull it off. So how do you do that? Yeah, so I, I think definitely the stress. I try and organise everything as early on in the month as possible. The only time I've been really stressed is when I had about three or four acts drop out, uh, literally a couple mm-hmm. of hours before. Um, I think in in terms of if you do a 10-minute spot in Chester somewhere and it bombs and it goes awful, at least you can sort of drive home and go, oh, well, I'm not going to Chester again. Um, it's hard yeah. when you've got the same people seeing you each month because it kind of feels like you've got a standard to hit. Um, mm-hmm. Like when I had you, Johnny, and Keith Wilde on, I knew the following month I was going to have to have some pretty solid acts on to, to keep up to standard. So I think that's a mm-hmm. big stress is just making sure that you're constantly hitting expectations. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, besides that, it's pretty enjoyable. I, I don't know about you, but I struggle more performing in front of people I do know um, than people I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it can be difficult. Yeah, it can be difficult because I think first of all, uh, you know, you can potentially um, ignore them 
because you don't want to interact with them because you don't want to be guilty of doing in jokes that only they're going to know um, or you can do the in jokes that only they're going to know and, and I think sometimes that can be really tricky the other thing I've found as well is though that that I've got a, I've got a few mates that you know would have been at my first show the one that we did together and then have come to several shows since and you know the weird thing is that if you're in a band you'll go out and you'll play the same songs every every gig maybe introduce yeah. a couple of new songs here and there comedians are no different but because the joy of comedy is the the reveal of the punchline or the the surprise of the punchline or whatever for the audience i get really conscious that that i sometimes get worried that people who who are coming to see me regularly are quite often going to see 70 80% of the material they've already seen um, yeah. when I'm emceeing I try and do it a little differently but I, I do sometimes it's weird that I care you know I really care about that and I, and I almost sort of apologize to people who've seen me before that they're seeing the same material and they always say oh that was stupid um, but I, I, what I was impressed with you about when I came to do your particularly your um, sort of gigged for you a couple of times at the Marcus of Granby and then at the exchange at the exchange I, I sort of came I actually came to the conclusion that I think you're a more natural MC then perhaps you are as, as a straight act. You felt it felt like you. It looked like you were more comfortable hosting the night than doing the sort of pre-written stuff. Your your repartee and your back and forth with the with the crowd was really natural and, and quick-witted and stuff. And for someone that you know, I don't want to patronise him, but for someone who's you know just only just the wrong side of twenty, um, that's that's pretty special. But it also, I think you looked less nervous, you looked less anxious, which is great. Um, do you ever feel like um, your your mental health issues directly impact the way you are on stage? So if, you, if you're in a bad place, does it affect your performance or are you able to kind of just switch it on and, and go into a kind of a positive autopilot on stage? Yeah, I, I think it can definitely easily impact it. I kind of know before I go on the stage that, yeah, today is not a good day at all for me. Um, I think, on the other hand, if I am feeling like that and it goes well, it can impact my mental health in a really positive way. Um, but sort of towards the back end of 20, 2019, I, I was just getting consistent. I, I don't know, I kind of felt like I hit failure after failure after failure with it, which is why I gave up for a while. Mm. Uh, and I think that was probably yeah, due to just my, my mental state. Um, I think if you're having mm. a negative place, it's quite hard to stand up and be funny and be lively and be joking. Yeah, your brain can almost um, screw you over, I think. And if you're in a place where those sort of feelings of inadequacy that you're fighting are winning and you think, I, if, if you go onto a stage to, to, to for any performance, I suppose, but particularly with something like comedy, thinking you don't deserve to be there, then you'll probably prove yourself right on the night, I think is the thing. And, and it's a really weird balance. Why do you think there's this thing that there's so many comedians who seem to have mental, some sort of mental health issues or or other challenges that should mean that comedy is one of the last things they should be doing? Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's a weird one because um, I was reading a book not too long ago and it said that one of the greatest fears in people is the fear of public speaking um, due to the fact that it's mainly the fear of judgment so 
you are right. Like nine, it feels like ninety percent of comedians have some form of mental health issue. Um, so it, it's not combination. I don't know. Maybe it's it's the feeling of worth they get or the meaning. Maybe it's an outlet that is why. But it, it's just so strange how mental health and comedy go hand in hand. Yeah, I think because I, I think it's it's so counterintuitive because actually you're in a position where it's a risk. You're actually you're actually kind of taking making a risk um, for your mental health. Um, I suppose because you talked about having failure after failure after failure last year. Um, you know, it's like if you have a run of really bad gigs, which so can happen to the best acts in the world, um, then, um, you know, it's, it's a real risk that you're the bottom of your world can kind of fall out a bit. And, and how do you bounce back from that? So what you did was you decided to kind of step away a minute, um, from it. And, and you, and that coincided with your plans to travel. Um, what, um, what did you get out of traveling or what did you expect to get out of traveling that would have fixed those issues from comedy? Do you think? I th- yeah, I think it was just a release. I think it was getting away, seeing something else. I thought that maybe it might recharge my batteries, sort of give me that new lease of life and sort of set me off out there again when I came back. Um, it, obviously it wasn't what I expected for a couple of reasons, but I just thought it would be kind of the recharge of the batteries I need maybe it give me some new material and a new perspective on life and I might come back this sort of new person right and obviously you had a bit of a, a mixed bag on your trip um some some issues while you're out there that we don't have to go into but certainly things that made it harder and maybe not the 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 several weeks in paradise and you know the the magical life experience you would have been hoping for um and then before you can really find your feet again, we end up in lockdown. What's your plan after? If first of all, I've not really asked anyone this, but I've spoken. Everyone I've spoken to so far has been in lockdown. Do you think comedy is going to get back to normal after this? Um, hmm. I I don't know. It, it's going to be difficult because a lot of the professional comedians are going to be missing out on a lot of money after this, uh, and it's going to be hmm. a while before the venues can open back up. And I think even when the government say we can all get in crowds again and run a comedy night. I think people are still going to be kind of too scared to do it. So mm. I think after a while, and yeah, maybe it'll return to its feet. And I think if anything, it's going to be better for newcomers because it's kind of like everyone's starting on, on that clean slate. I think everyone will be starting from a very similar position. Yeah, I mean, I've wondered that. And I suppose it's one of those things where I've kind of talked myself into couple of things of it's never going to get back to normal it's going to be a bit woe is me but then I think as well potentially some people who were at a similar level to us and I suppose because of your time out I'm probably a little bit further along than you but those people who are well known enough locally on the open mic circuit and breaking into sort of semi-regular paid work or running their own nights and whatever I think some of those people will walk away from comedy and possibly not come back. Um, and perhaps the opportunities for loads of new people to get into comedy might not be as prevalent as well be- because some venues that might have been open to hosting a night may no longer be able to or whatever. So I think there might be fewer opportunities 
and also f for new people and fewer fewer acts. So we might be slightly, you know, there might be a slightly smaller pool, but uh, I think my biggest fear is is audiences um, and just whether they're going to want to come out and and sit in a in a room with other people just to hear some 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 jokes um, for a while. I don't know. Part of me, I mean, I, I suppose in a way I, I equate it to things like football. I'm, I'm, I miss the only thing I'm missing about football is the actual act of going to the football and uh, the, the sort of almost all of the off the pitch stuff, you know, the, I love walking to the ground with my boy and like, you know, me and him having a pie and a bovril and, you know, a few pints with the lads and the chat before the game and the banter with people rather than the match itself. And I suppose if there's enough people that feel a similar way about comedy, then hopefully it can relatively quickly bounce back and who knows we might all need a bit of a laugh but it does worry me um, but assuming it gets back to something like normal what's your plan yeah so i think the plan definitely will be um obviously i'm, I'm hoping this new business sales by then if it does it's going to give me a lot of freedom that being in an office didn't before so i think the plan will be probably starting out um start out doing the first couple of gigs car sharing with you guys in that chat like you and keith wild because mm -hmm. i think because it's been such a long time having you guys around me will give me the confidence to jump on stage with a new lease of life um, rather than yeah. going to an open mic night on my own and being a bit shy. Uh, I think after that, I'd definitely like to see how far I can take it and just keep going, keep gigging regularly, you know, um, keep getting new material out there. It's something that I've missed. I did wonder if I took a break, if I would miss it, and I definitely do miss it. So I think it's just getting yeah. those gigs in regularly yet again and just going at it. And do you think that that um, you know your sort of your experience over the last year or so will change your your style or the nature of your material from what it was, or, or what do you think? Yeah, I, I think in terms of material, I, I did a lot of jokes about being young before. Um, I, I think I'd probably cut a lot of that out now because I'm, I'm starting to feel mentally <laughs> old, haggard. Um, mm -hmm. But besides that, I think. A lot of the fear that I had before, a lot of the fear of judgment and the fear around not good enough, I do think a lot of that will fade, and I just think I'll step onto stage with either a new form of confidence or I don't care anymore. But I think either way, hopefully, yeah. it's going to impact my act in a more positive way. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I suppose about your act, and it, and it, it might be because you sort of um, you, you did go down the route of commenting on on your age and stuff because you're always going to be one of the youngest on the lineup and stuff like that and you look quite fresh-faced and what have you um but i suppose that what that meant was with that material you didn't necessarily reveal very much about yourself um really it was kind of quite a visual um and sometimes quite near the knuckle um material but it didn't really tell us a lot about you as an act and i just wonder with kind of the the slightly, you know, the slightly more experience under your belt and stuff. Whether you might open up about it in the future. One of the things about um, that I've, when I've spoken to people on here, um, apart from probably Keith because he's a musical act, so he's he's not really going to open up an awful lot about himself. Um, but most of the people I've spoken to on this pod um, have ended up using their issues, whatever they may be, as fuel for material. Um, and I just wondered whether you might end up at some point talking about your your issues to get a laugh, um, and whether and what you thought of people who do that. Yeah, so I think definitely um, 
it's getting the right mixture of the darkness and the light. I don't really want to go on stage all low is me and people think, you know, is, is this guy just using this for a therapy session? I think it's definitely, if I knew people were going to get a laugh out of it, then I would. Like, you did a really, a really good set on the, you know, the effects of antidepressants, the side effects. And I think if I could get that kind of balance like you did, uh, then I definitely would. Mm. I think, so when I did that that piece, which I'll, I'll probably share on this pod at some point, it, it was a, a, I tried it out first, and this is one of the benefits of running your own night, where you can just try one or two minutes of material in between other acts or when you're doing the warm-up stuff without it having to be seamlessly woven into your longer set. But I knew it was a risk because um, it's potentially one of those taboo subjects where people don't want it talked about. Um, but I suppose the bit I'd written was, uh, it was like 99% of it was true. And then the punchline was the lie, but the punchline was the bit that gave the audience the release from the, the sort of the, the, the dark bit of the material. Um, and, and, but the, every time I do that material, and I was talking with um, Maxine um, Wade about this, when I interviewed her for this podcast, every time I mention that I've had a nervous breakdown because I do it as the sort of almost the lead into the material, yeah. the mood in the room changes and you know, you've taken a risk, which is the greatest The thing with comedy is the greater the risk, the greater the potential reward, I suppose. So if you, if you do take risks, if you don't play it safe, it can be great. But as soon as you say, oh, you know, I like to talk about mental health because I had a nervous breakdown and here's what I want to say. You can feel the audience suddenly go, Oh shit, where's he going with this? And, and they're, they're immediately sort of shifting in their seats and worried because they're thinking, hang on, you mainly do nod gags or you're, you're Mr. Cheeky Jappy and whatever. And it's, and it's, a, it's a real gear change. So I, I would, I would say to you to definitely try it, but it's a, it's a, you've got to read the room and you've got to manage the room process, which is really, I mean, it's, it's a skill and it's interesting, but, um, it scared the shit out of me the first couple of times I did it because I, I just felt that energy come out. And actually, I've got to I've got to share this story. So one night I I did this in um, in Huddersfield. I may have already talked about it on this podcast, but I'm not sure. Um, I did it at my regular night in Huddersfield, and my best mate, for, who was a best mate for life, was at the back of the room. And I did the give us a cheer if you've ever taken antidepressants, and, and he was going through shit at the time, you know, in a really profound way. And he did the biggest cheer in the room. And uh, and I kind of just laughed because I've known him since I was 11 years old. Right? And uh, and I was like, oh, okay, guys, that's my best mate at the back of the room. Um, he's having his own issues at the moment. I've only brought him here to make sure he doesn't top himself. right? And it was just an ad lib. And there was like, a, it was that, that brilliant laugh you get where they laughed and then they gasped and then they laughed. And, and because they'd gasped, I was like, it's okay. It's okay. I'll make sure when we go home, we avoid any bridges, you know, and, and, it, and then I, I, I shared that as a clip with his permission. Um, and um, a couple of people I know who are mental health advocates were like, mate, that's not on. That's really because that could be quite triggering and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but I do know him inside out. He's one of, you know, he's one of, he's my lifelong best friend. And, and we pissed ourselves laughing about it on the way home in the car. But it's like it is a risk, and it's one of those things where I suppose you can end up um, with um, things going a little bit wrong. So it's 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 bold, but I I would absolutely encourage you to do it. And I think it's one of those things that can become a really rich seam of material through 
through your set. But um, listen, we're getting towards the end now, and I've probably talked more on this one than I should have done. But um, first things first, I don't want to patronise you, um, although I do all the time. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm I'm genuinely dead proud of you for for you know seeking the help you need and getting it, and uh, and you know that we're all going to be there for you with our little kind of. Um, little tiny comedy crew, um, you know, will be there throughout for you. Um, so I'm dead proud of you for that. Um, I have got a question for you, though, that is the question I'm asking everyone at the end of this podcast. And it's probably, for you, the it's, it's probably the one that would have the biggest impact if it could. So it's a magic wand question. If I had a magic wand and I could, could wave it and say to you, right, SJ, your mental health worries will be you know, click of the finger, they're gone, and they're never going to return. You're going to be on an even keel for the rest of your life in a good place. You're never going to get that black dog issue coming back. But the cost of that is that you'll never get on the stage again and perform comedy. Would you say yes, or would you tell me to sling my hook? You know, I, I don't know if it's a comedy thing. Part of me would want to say yes, and the other half would go, like, like we've had this conversation about the antidepressants, if I want to get through this, if there's a problem, I kind of just want to beat it myself. So I don't even think it's yeah. a comedy stage thing. I think it's I see it more as a challenge to get better on my own terms mm-hmm. and go upwards rather than keep sparrowing down. Mm. Well, that is a slightly different answer from what anyone else has given. Everyone, everyone said they w- no, they wouldn't take the offer, but your reasoning was different from everyone else. So that's interesting and and admirable. Um, but yeah, you don't only have to be by yourself, as we've said before. So, you know, you've got um, you've got a lot of uh, loyal friends behind you who are going to help you get through it as well, which is really good. So this one's been a slightly more serious or somber one than most of the other ones because I'm just really conscious that you're right in the middle of it and, and uh, want to give it the sort of respect it deserved, really. So, SJ, I really want to thank you for coming on. Um, and uh, I'm sure we'll speak again soon. But um, keep on trucking, man, and, uh, and, you know, keep fighting the good fight. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks, Graham. It's been real good speaking to you anyway. I appreciate it all. Cool, man. You take care. You too. So that was episode 10 uh, with Sam, SJ Cook, um, good lad, really good lad Sam, um, and uh, he's hoping that his uh, mental health journey and comedy journey both continue together. I know I said journey there twice and that sounds like a bit like a, a clip on X Factor where the piano music's going to kick in, but it's not going to happen here. Um, but no, good luck to you SJ and uh, we'll, we'll maybe check in again with him uh, in weeks to come with a mini episode and just see how he's doing um, as he's as he's going through it kind of live now in the early stages um, might be nice to track his progress in mental health terms at least um, in comedy terms it's looking like things might be picking up um, you know we're at a stage of lockdown where we've been told uh, performances can start again soon um, and uh, there's certainly plans afoot for that to happen so that'll be interesting um, I'm certainly hoping that by the back end of August, September time, I might be out gigging again myself, which would be nice. Um, certainly good for the mental health. Um, but in terms of the podcast, I've got loads of people that I want to get through. i um, hoping to uh, have next week's guest 
um, lined up pretty quickly, uh, but we'll keep it under wraps for now just in case it doesn't happen. Um, and uh, just thanks again to everyone for listening with 10 episodes down. Who knows how many more to come? So thanks for listening. Remember, like, subscribe, share. Feel free to leave some comments on our Facebook page or get in touch on Twitter or leave a review on wherever you get your app, uh, wherever you get your podcasts from, I should say. Um, and just stay in touch. Uh, if you have any questions you'd like to ask or any suggestions or feedback or you want to ask me a question about something, um, I'm quite happy to start taking listener questions now. I'm a bit more comfortable with the podcast. Um, so do get in touch. And uh, either way, stay safe and we'll speak soon. Bye. Sparks of Madness is hosted by Graham Rayner and is a gag and bone man comedy production.